Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today, our special guest is my coworker at Lawrence High School, Heidi Woods. Welcome, Heidi. Hi, Heidi. Hey. Excited to be here. Yes, me too. I'm so excited you decided to join us and thank you for that. Uh, All right. So the first thing we're going to ask you is where are you joining us from today? (laughs) That this one will probably be pretty obvious because I just said we work together. (laughs) I am about eight miles south of Lawrence. I actually live on a real working farm. Like there's 600 head of cattle and combines going crazy out here most of the time. I love that. I don't actually think I knew that. That's fantastic. Ah. So another thing we ask is what your team is. And so your childhood family versus your family now. I am definitely team Sarah. I identify with her the most. I um, am raising two kids. I have a son that's 12, seventh grade and a daughter that's 16. Oh, wow. That is very similar. I, ha- I do have a partner, but he's kind of a workaholic. So I'm pretty, m- I feel like I'm a single parent. And I was raised by a single parent, so I guess this goes into my childhood. I was raised by a single mom. My parents divorced when I was two. I always hear when people say I, I come from a, not a classic family, but what, what's Like a traditional? Name? Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. But I feel like maybe a single parent is almost a traditional parent these days. I guess yeah. if you look way far back. So I don't really <laughs> feel like just because I'm a single parent that, you know, I'm like the only one doing it. I don't know. Maybe that's sad that that's not a traditional (laughs) thing, but you know, people remarry and have fantastic families to go along with their own children. And it's pretty awesome. I love the idea of family being this wide open to interpretation thing. You know, I, I think it's wonderful that it doesn't look the way we we always think it has to look. You know, I think it's beautiful that we have, you know, single parents and and that things are becoming less and less traditional. Actually, it's something kind of funny that Caleb and I have noted on the podcast before how really traditional all the families are. Yeah. Our final question for you, Heidi, is what is your history with the TV show Parenthood? I did not watch it until about maybe two summers ago and I binged it. When Ugh. it was on, I had already turned off regular TV. I mean, I was like, my kids would have been five and Grace would have been nine. Uh, so I was watching, you know, whatever DVD stuff they were watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, this would be a great show to binge. Like, I mean, I'm enjoying watching it slowly now, but really that's the only way I've ever watched the show, I feel like, because I, I watched it when it was on. Yeah. And... I don't know. I feel like, uh, yes, it is. I, I always want to just know what happens next. So that's nice that you got to do well, that. Well, re-watching it again. I mean, it's like reading a book again. Totally. You mm. forget things. Yeah, I'm shocked at how many genuine questions I have or how many things feel like <laughs> real surprises. I yeah. Didn't remember. yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten so much. I don't know why. I think... Who knows why? I don't know. But I, I think next time I watch this show, I'm going to remember everything really well. Yeah. <laughs> After the, this viewing is unlike any of the previous viewings. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, today we are discussing specifically Parenthood Season 2, Episode 5, The Booth Job. Mm-hmm. It was written by Carrie Aaron, directed by Adam Davidson, and originally aired on October 12th, 2010. Here is the NBC synopsis. Christina goes to an Asperger support group alone and later tries to convince Adam to join her. Meanwhile, Crosby and Jasmine enlist Julia's help in getting Jabbar accepted at Sydney's school. 
Sarah's performance at the shoe booth exceeds Gordon's expectations, causing him to make an unexpected move. Elsewhere, Zeke and Camille sign up for ballroom dancing classes with hopes of connecting on a deeper level. I feel like three times during that, my teeth knocked together. I don't know if that if you could hear it, but I could not. I sure felt it. I don't know why. Not. Um, okay. <laughs> This episode begins with Joel and Julia and their baby making being interrupted by Sydney, who had a bad dream. I do want to make a note. This is not a spoiler because I'm not going to say anything else, but I am going to say this is not the only sex scene set to a Beck song that will happen in parenthood. Oh, Stay man. tuned. Yeah. Oh. I just See, remember vividly. I didn't vividly. even know it was Beck. <laughs> <laughs> If it's not on a cast recording, I probably haven't heard it. <laughs> but my first question to you guys, do either of you remember any nightmares from your childhood? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, I had a recurring one. And all I remember is that it involved my dad being in the hospital, which is not surprising because my dad was always in the hospital. But like at some point I got separated from my mom and I was down like a very dark corridor and then this random woman with like orange hair had a cane and she just started walking towards me and I knew she was going to beat me. And then it, I would wake up and she like when she was very close and I have no idea what that means. Oh, that's it was scary. Yeah, I was just in a hospital corridor. Some Gosh. random woman. She might have been the woman from Goonies now that I think about it. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty scared of Goonies. <laughs> she like threatens to cut out their tongues. That freaked me out. Anyway, what about you guys? I don't remember any. I'll have to think about that. Yeah, I don't either. I know I asked the question, but <laughs> I I know that I I remember that I did have nightmares occasionally, as everyone does. But I don't have any memories of really having nightmares. Wow, that's wow. nice. My dad and I think his older brother. I think they both had night terrors when they were kids. Oh God! Where like you have a hard time waking up from them, and they're and you like move around while you're having them and can really be dangerous. I think. Anyway, that leads to Sydney wanting to sleep in their bed all the time, which I've, I've heard from parents and uh, some people in my own family, even it's a frequent issue. Kids wanting to sleep in bed with them. I don't remember ever sleeping with my parents or like requesting to. I don't remember. Maybe my mom will like call into the show with a with a correction. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think I ever did. Um, what do you do? You guys know? Did, did you ever do that? Or Heidi, have your kids ever done that? Oh, yeah. Um, first of all, this this people will think this is really weird. But I lived in Section 8 housing my entire life. We had three bedrooms. I slept with my mom until fifth grade because that's just what we had yeah but I guess we could have had single beds but maybe that's why I never had nightmares because my mom was oh right. <laughs> god that's nice it worked I mean it's you know because my sister is eight years older than me and my brother's six years older so like they want to be in rooms so I don't know it was pretty normal for me I, I don't I think that freaks people out but I mean I was a baby you know I mean even fifth grade doesn't freak me out yeah. I think it's nice and then my babies were definitely co-sleepers like I did not even set up my son's baby bed because I knew I wasn't going to put him in it <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's very controversial to have I mean my sister was freaked out she is an early childhood teacher special ed teacher you know so she's afraid that they were you know, that you would roll over on them or whatever, but 
I also nursed. And so I just, it was just so much easier to just have them right there. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I love sleeping with my babies. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I remember very occasionally sleeping in their bed, but I think it probably was if I had bad dreams. Mm. So Mm -hmm. comforting. Because I don't think it was ever... I never went to bed with my parents. It wasn't like time mm-hmm. to go to bed, get in. No, it was something <laughs> happened in the middle of the night. And then my guess now when I look back, it was probably just the easiest way to get me back to sleep. Mm, uh, just yeah. here, yeah. come with us and then you'll zonk out and then either you'll stay there the rest of the night or then we'll move you. I cannot be a cried out parent. I just cannot do it. <laughs> I don't think I could. That's, that seems hard. It's so hard. I didn't do it. <laughs> They're like, come here. No. I think I could. <laughs> I do. I think I'd be like, soothe yourself. <laughs> well, Joel and Julia certainly come down on different sides of this. Come back to bed. She has to get out of that bed. That's a little intense. I feel intense. Okay, she can sleep on my side. No, we are, it's not about which side she sleeps on. It's about It's about me being a parent. You go to work, and I'm a parent all day, you know? And then you get home, and it's all about our girl, which it should be, and I love it. But at night, (laughs) at night, it's it's the only time that I don't have to be a parent. I can just be Joel with my wife, and I need that. I'm sorry. I want to be with you, too. But... I do go to work in the morning, and I and I work all day, and I miss her so much while I'm there. And you know, I love my job, but she's grown up so fast. I don't want to miss it all. Sometimes that's the only time I get to be a parent. Mommy, come back! I need you. I thought that was such a great example of. Because I, I I don't know, on parenthood, they always have these arguments where I feel so split. Like, I don't know whose side to be on. I thought they both made such good points. I'm like, yeah. oh, they're both right. I, I don't know. I loved it. And I also liked how there kind of wasn't really a solution. I mean, certainly not in the moment. Yeah. That they had this problem because they're coming from two totally different places. Joel wants yeah. some time away from her. Julia wants more time with her. Nothing about that is going to change. There's not going to be like, well, Joel, you can spend more time away from her during the day. No, you can't. You're a stay-at-home parent. (laughs) And Julia can't just stop working. Yeah, and Sydney is already six, maybe. It's not like she's an infant that needs to be fed. I mean, old enough, like she's already in her bed. That might be a a bad (laughs) trend to start. (laughs) And it's funny, this, you know, we're constantly saying, I don't have kids, but... I still, to be honest, often feel like I'm entitled to an opinion on the <laughs> on the stories we talk about. But this one was like weirdly one that I felt the least qualified to weigh in on. Because, I mean, the way it's portrayed in the episode, I guess I kind of come down on, yeah, she shouldn't sleep in your bed. But then I'm like, what do I know? I can't even conceive of, literally, uh, of having <laughs> that problem. Like, I'm never yeah. going to... Oh, I hate to say never. Now I'm like... <gasps> I just do myself to never having children. But certainly as of now, this is not a problem I'm going to encounter. Well, the only way I can relate is Mark and I sleep with our three dogs and (laughs) that's not the same. I guess the only (laughs) way I could relate is just sleep preferences. And I like 
not having stuff on me. Like you said, Oh, we sleep with our dogs. Ugh, get them off. That sounds awful. <laughs> and I feel They're like so cuddly. Yeah. And I, and it's weird. I like cuddling, but I feel like even just like with a partner, I wouldn't want to, okay, we can cuddle. And then when it's time to sleep, get off me. You go to your side. <laughs> go to mine. What was it that Ross said? It was like tuck and roll. Was that it? Hug like for her. Her roll, roll for, you. for you. Yeah. <laughs> so well, at the end, this resolves with Julia giving that little bubble analogy to Sydney, yeah. and I wasn't sure that was the best analogy because isn't she kind of just telling Sydney our love doesn't have enough room for you? <laughs> I actually had trouble following that metaphor because yeah. it, she was like, you know, and Sydney was like, so it like it's it's she says something like it grows. She said, does it she was, grow? And she's like, she said, yeah. yes, but it takes time, which again, it's like so someday. So when Sydney's 12, she can sleep in your bed. Yeah, I but, didn't understand that. I didn't think it was a very good analogy. <laughs> well, and then it just ends up saying daddy is just a baby. I mean, that's kind of how yeah. it Yeah. Oh, daddy's like a baby. He needs attention sometimes That was too. a cute line from her, though. <laughs> she delivered it well. I did like, I guess, at least that Julia framed it to Sydney in a way that was positive. That was mm-hmm. Sydney helping her dad rather than like, get out. We don't want you. But it was <laughs> yeah. daddy needs some space. Can you help us with that? And both the actresses were really good in the scene, I thought. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, it was the, the metaphor was a little murky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sydney seemed to understand it better than I did. <laughs> yeah, and I think, the, you know, the murkiness is, is it's too a kid so you can't you can't say to a kid you know like we really just need some time alone without you and our marriage needs it too you have to put it i mean she wouldn't know what that is that's true she didn't know why they were naked yeah (laughs) she's like why are you naked and we didn't hear that explanation we just heard julia go um (laughs) so and i mean come on they would have put clothes on before they ran in there I did think it was funny that, yeah, she was just like wrapping the the sheet around But, you know, they were having TV sex, which is entirely under sheets. So I guess it maybe (laughs) was easy to just roll out and wrap it around. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, another one of the smaller storylines had to do with Amber and Kelsey. And it began with Amber's singing, which I feel like we haven't really heard up to now. And I thought she sounded great. Also, I thought Mae Whitman looked particularly gorgeous right off the bat in this episode. She's so pretty. Her hair and stuff is always changing. And this might be one of the more traditional looks she's had. So I wonder if that's why I was responding to it, because I'm like so tame in my taste it's like, oh, she looks she looks so pretty with her hair off her face and anyway. but i looked it up the song that she was singing was actually a song called gardenia by landon pig and may whitman sang the song on his uh, album with him and then she and landon also dated for quite a while I did notice that the song played again at the end of the episode yeah. and it was his version. Yeah. And I think she was on it too, right? Yeah. yeah. She's on it too. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice that till my second watch. So that that's why we watched this twice, you know, hard hitting news for all of you. <laughs> I also noticed, Melissa, you have mentioned how many characters use the term buddy. Yes. Amber called Kelsey buddy in this episode when she, when she ditched them during the tutoring session. 
I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Who calls their, I mean, like, you know, like, okay, buddy, I got to go. And I'm like, that's what you call a child. I, yeah. Everyone says buddy. On Although I show. think she was being patronizing in that. I was going to say, maybe she, I think she was being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes and sense. She that would get out. that from her family. I mean, I feel like you say things that your family says often. So maybe that's carrying over from that. You know, that does make sense. That's true. Maybe maybe it's not so strange that they all say buddy. They all get it from each other. Yeah. What did you all think of that storyline? I loved it. I'll just jump the gun and say um, I love the nuance of Kelsey assuming that the reason that Amber left their study session was because she was jealous of the whole Howard thing. And I, I love that the reason she went there was because she couldn't conceive of the real reason, you know, of $40 being a lot of money and just, you know, wasting it. I like that too. I I love anytime money is the source of conflict. Maybe just because we have noticed that that's so rare, but <laughs> it's so true in real life. I just feel like who can't relate to this one way or another. I liked Kelsey's reaction when Amber, you know, mentions you have no idea how much $40 is to my family. Mm-hmm. And Kelsey was like, "Oh god, I didn't even think of that." She was very gracious and nice, I thought at that point, but up until then, Kelsey was driving me crazy. I was like, what's the matter with you? I, I could so see where Amber was coming from since I grew up with not much money that I just was like, how is this girl not getting it? But of course, you you probably wouldn't. $40 probably wouldn't seem like anything. Yeah. But I thought, again, Amber has so much integrity for someone her age. You know, like I thought it was really awesome of her to just be honest with her. I mean, it took her a bit. You know, it was she couldn't just do it in front of Howard, which I get because I wouldn't want to confess anything to that guy. He didn't seem great to me. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I liked that she was able to tell her friend, but that she even admitted that it was embarrassing. You know, it's a vulnerable thing yeah. when you acknowledge the disparities between you and a friend, I feel like. My mom cleaned houses all through her time. She was in college whenever I was in middle school. And then I think she graduated from high school or from college <laughs> a year <laughs> before I graduated from high school. So she cleaned houses the entire time and she cleaned houses of some of my friends. Oh yeah. Wow. One of them turned out to sort of be in my best friend group. I don't know that we ever like fully talked about it, but it felt like it just wasn't a big deal that we needed to talk about. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't a big deal because I could see that going either way. You know, I could see that being. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure when I was younger that that there were times that that might've been embarrassing, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know what I told people my mom did. I must have because I would have been like, you know, she's in college. This is what, you know. Well, and it's interesting the things that like either do or don't embarrass us when we're growing up. Like I remember not wanting to admit that like I bought, you know, dresses for a dance at like thrift stores. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to say that I got them at the same place as everyone else got them. And, and yeah. you know, now I... I now I sort of brag like a lot of people yeah, do, like, totally. oh, I bought this for a dollar. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that amazing? But but when I was growing up, I was so like ugh, painfully aware of it, I felt like. so. It is awful how those things have status and stuff attached to them, though. I remember my sister telling me a story once about a friend of hers had a birthday and she wanted to buy her something. I don't know what she specifically had in mind. She ended up getting her earrings, I believe. So she wanted to buy this friend earrings. And this was in middle school, I think. And so she went to my mom and you know, we did not have a lot of money either. And my mom said, okay, sure, I'll buy you some earrings to give to her, but we need to get them at Walmart, which was where we got, that was like our groceries and just all of our, yeah. our usual stuff. 
So if we can get it in like a normal trip, fine, but we're not going to go buy them special. So she did that, found a pair, gave them to the friend, and then said that the friend, almost immediately upon getting them and liking them, she said, oh, where'd you get them? So my sister said, oh, I got them at Walmart. Yeah. And then the, the friend like, just like tossed them aside and suddenly oh. had no interest. And which I'm sure, I mean, it makes me feel terrible. I'm sure it made my sister feel terrible. And it's so ridiculous to me. Yeah. Well, do you like the earrings? Why do you care where they came from? But especially at that age, I think people do care. Yeah. I want to know that this is the nice place. Yeah. Name brands are still huge. And I mean, Melissa, I mean, you, you see it. Yeah. There are certain things our students wear and it, it becomes interesting. Yeah. To note, like kind of who's, who's wearing it, who's not. I don't really pay that much attention, but I can tell from the way that they talk sometimes that, that they pay attention. I'm so glad that Grace is, she's happy to go shop at the Goodwill. Like that's where she finds her fun. <laughs> you know, thank yeah. God. <laughs> One last aspect of this storyline that I thought was uh, worth commenting on. I'm happy how it all resolves, but I also wonder if it's maybe an example of how boring good communication can be. Like so many of these conflicts and episodes, I will at least bring up, oh, I wish they had just communicated better. They could have avoided all of this. (laughs) In this episode, like Amber's arc was basically... Kelsey doesn't appreciate the financial situation I'm in. I told her about it calmly. She understood. And then she apologized. <laughs> Riveting. <Yeah. laughs> like, it's not the most, I liked it, but it wasn't the most dramatic. And it f- ultimately felt kind of inconsequential to me. Like, okay, huh. everything know, worked out. <laughs> I, I like it. Kind of dull. <laughs> See, I didn't think it was dull, but maybe that's because I think it's interesting that these two are friends at all. I'm like, what draws them to each other? You know, I mean, I think we've gotten kind of a sense of what draws Amber to Kelsey, you know, maybe through Sarah in an earlier episode where she's talking about how, you know, this family's cultured and, you know, all of these, I don't know, sort of exciting things about their lives. And at least initially, Amber never wanted to have Kelsey over. Although in just this episode, she invited, you know, Kelsey to stay for dinner. So maybe some of that has Well, resolved. Kelsey invited herself. Oh, that's Kelsey true. Herself. That's <laughs> true. Maybe Kelsey enjoys slumming it. I don't know. At, at you know, Zeke and Camille's gigantic house. Um, oh, yeah. But then I wonder, you know, so what is it that Kelsey likes about Amber. And to me, that one's even easier because it's not superficial stuff like like money or status or being cultured. It's like, well, Amber's way cooler than most people. Like not just most teenagers, <laughs> most people. You know, I I yeah, and she genuinely seemed to admire her when she was, you know, playing her song and her voice was so beautiful and Kelsey appreciated that. So I think she really does like Amber. But yeah, the idea of being friends with someone so different from you, I, I, I still find that interesting. And I wonder how many of us do that. I, I feel pretty similar to most of my friends. Um, I don't really have that many friends where I'm like, whoa, we're so opposite. I don't know either. Yeah, nor do I. Still, though, it made me appreciate when people don't communicate so well, because at least then <laughs> there's like a good fight comes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've been thinking about you saying that. I feel like maybe the show... 
maybe it isn't just kind of a trope in the show. Maybe it's a trope of life too. You know, I, I am not always great at communicating with people the first time. Sometimes I'll kind of mess up and then I have to regroup and figure out the right way to say something. You know, I'm usually not very direct. I will sometimes get myself into a little bit of a mess just because I don't, I don't know, correct somebody right away if they get something wrong about me and then I let it like grow. And then I'm like, oh. I remember that time in high school when you had two dates to the prom. <laughs> and you kept changing dresses in the bathroom and then running out, what? hoping the other one would That is notice. such a joke. That is I was gonna say, no. <laughs> no. Oh my God. That's Wait, funny. But if you're here, then, oh no. Who's there? <laughs> Probably a Nickelodeon show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, <laughs> elsewhere from that bizarre joke. I loved it. Elsewhere at this episode, Zeke and Camille are looking for something to do together. And I love that Hattie came in with the best suggestion of all. What about, uh, like, ballroom oh, dancing? What? Yeah, that could be nice. So ballroom dancing. Yeah, well, yeah. they dress you, like, special. Oh, like, like, kind of fancy. Like, like, yeah. Hey, yeah. I think it's, so you know, it's an idea. So, yeah, I could see you guys doing that. You know, we could try it. You know, if we don't like it, then we can always stop. You know, we don't have to keep doing it. You know, it's funny, I always wanted to do that. Really? Yeah, you know, in the back of my mind, it was always something I thought I'd do someday. Hey, Millie. Yeah. I would love to dance with you. Oh, that was so sweet. I know, I love it. And it was such a great twist, I thought, because I feel like most sitcoms would go the other way where he's like, oh, ballroom dancing, I, you know, and, mm-hmm. and maybe he even felt like that because, you know, later in the storyline, she's like, you didn't even want to go. And I thought, is that true? Because right away. I thought the same thing, yeah, too. I was like, right away. Like he did want to go. Yeah, he I said I would like love to dance too. with you. But I, I thought that was so romantic and sweet. I loved Crosby's line right after the scene you played where he was like, well, the charmer, if you don't do it, I will. You know, I yeah. thought that was so cute. Well, and maybe there was a time in their marriage when he would have been like, I'm not mm. doing that. I mean, that could have totally been that way. That is such a good yeah. point. Maybe that's what she meant. Like, maybe she's basing this off of like prior, you know, like this is so not something you would have wanted to do. And maybe, maybe his enthusiasm is more of a like therapy related. You know, I see you, I hear you, you want to do this. I'm going to do this. And she does couch it right off the bat with, oh, and, and if we don't like it, we can just stop. Like, yeah. it sounds like that's maybe how she's had to convince him to do lots of things before. Mm. Uh, here's, I have a little musician pet peeve. Okay. If I may. As I understand it, not being like in the film industry, if they're playing actual music live while they're shooting, then editing becomes a real problem because you have such specific and intricate sound tied to every shot that you have to be editing the music along with the visual, which if you were like choreographing a whole dance, you might be able to do. But in a scene where there's dialogue and all this stuff, it it would be really complicated. So I think usually they just don't have any music playing at all. And then they put it in after the scene has been shot and edited. That makes sense. But then the problem is no one knows what they're dancing to. (laughs) And so the guy leading this class starts the music and then he counts them in nowhere near (laughs) any beat at all. He's totally off. I did not notice that. And it just, to me, it's like the entire thing 
is suddenly laughably unbelievable. Like, this guy can't even count five, six, seven, eight. How is he leading a dance class? And yet, and, I, you know, I know that it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> well, but it's funny. The things that'll bug us, you know, it just feels so fake. That didn't bug me. But um, Zeke continually calling that guy gay Tony. I didn't love that. <laughs> OK, I want you to know that I'm OK with the gays. Right? It's a no. Zeke. And uh, Tony, mm-hmm. let's get something straight between us, uh, so to speak. Um, I'll be leaving. You're the boss, Zeke. Well, this isn't your first class, is it? Nope. Very nice. Hey, Millie. Look at Tony. I mean, gosh, he's so responsive. Huh? Moves like a dream, doesn't he? Very nice. Yeah. Very coordinated. You dip? Oh, yeah. Nicely done. It didn't bother me at all. Really? <laughs> I gotta say, I, the, the only thing I found offensive about it is... Maybe that it was kind of like comedically lazy, <laughs> like really predictable that, oh, yeah, of course, Zeke's going to put his foot in his mouth and make some kind of like dumb gay remark. But all right, that's fine. <laughs> I did. I did find it really funny once he was so impressed. I loved that. part. That was hilarious. Yeah. And I thought I did. I did think good for Tony for like taking it all in stride when he really he could have legitimately been like, oh, OK, that's rude yeah well and i and look at zeke's age too i mean he's i mean that's a big step for a person from that era it, he didn't say it right i mean like oh my god okay <laughs> like, oh god the other offensive part of it i think is rubbing it in camille's face <laughs> oh no because i don't yeah. think he meant to do no. that but it totally <laughs> is what he did like oh, we were so bad together camille but look this guy's way more responsive <laughs> than you <laughs> How could he not know how hurtful that would be? I also, if anyone's listening to this and hasn't watched it yet, or if you go back and rewatch it, pay special attention to the look on Camille's face (laughs) at the very end of that scene. She is staring daggers at him. She is not amused at all. No. Yeah, you know, I I did ultimately love it. I, I just, I was like... Just, you know, slight cringe, I guess, at the edge. But but yeah. th- that might have been kind of a progressive scene for 10 years ago. You know, just the fact that Zeke did enjoy dancing with him so much. And yeah, considering his age and everything, maybe maybe he just wasn't comfortable enough to just be like, all right, let's do this. You know, maybe he had to sort of um, come to terms with it first and convince mm-hmm. Tony and himself that he was fine with it. I, I don't know. I, I don't love that, but maybe it's realistic. Or just that he's the type of person that felt like, I think he genuinely is okay with it. Mm -hmm. But he's operating from the place where he feels like he has to preface (laughs) it by announcing that he's okay with it. (laughs) Where someone who's a little more comfortable with it doesn't announce it, they just do it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's like, whatever, let's just dance. Yeah, so everyone else is kind of like facepalm, like, oh, 
okay, good. Yeah. You're tolerant. Whatever. <laughs> I just, you could just dance with me and then I would gather that you're tolerant. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm just like imagining one of my students or something and, you know, like just it would not be good if teachers were like, oh, I'm okay with this. You know, you just like it's just no. if you put it in any other context, it's just it's like just be okay with it. But but yeah, yeah he's probably yeah. trying. He's trying in lots of areas. As he tells Adam a few scenes later. I don't go to therapy for, for me. You know, what am I going to get out of it? I hate going. Yeah. I'm going because it means something to your mom. Right? That's why I'm going. Okay, but he's going. Yeah, I mean, he's going. Yeah. And I think that's okay because he's going to get something out of it. Not a bad he reason will to get go to therapy. I mean, I think that's how you get people to go to therapy is like, yeah. you know, just give it a shot. I think as long as you go to therapy, not always for yourself. You have somebody in your life saying, man, you might want to go talk to somebody. And and in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm good. And then you go <laughs> and you're like, ooh, I needed to be here. So. Well, and I th- yeah, really good point. Zeke is the sort of person who needs to believe, oh, this isn't about me at all. This is this is about Camille. She needs it, so <laughs> I'll go with her. Mm-hmm. But of course, I mean, I think he needs it way more than she does. She already knows how to be a yeah. loving, giving partner. He's, you know, needing some help in that area, I think. But but I don't know, this episode did kind of subvert some of my ideas about both of them. You know, the, the idea that she's not very good at, at dancing, and so she just gives up right away um, rather than be vulnerable. I, I much more would have seen that coming from Zeke. And so I wrote down, yeah. why is she so mad about the dancing? He's there. I yeah. could not understand. Now I see, Caleb, where you said it's maybe that he was doing so well dancing with someone else. But I just could not figure out, like, why is she so mad about the fact that he is dancing? But then she later says, I just wanted to be with you. Well, they were still together. That confused me, too. Like we said, she said he didn't want to do it in the first place. And that didn't seem to be true. No. He even seemed to be enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. I just wondered... Is it maybe because he is sort of turning it into a competition and not like between he and Tony and her, but does he care about getting really good at dancing? And she's like, I don't need to be really good at dancing, but I wasn't sure. Or like, does she just not like it? I think she's uncomfortable because she's not good at it. Uh, I I will say, um, so I, I love Jane Austen novels and one of my favorite pieces of literary criticism that I've ever read about Jane Austen novels is that, Obviously, since this takes place in a time of like courting and <laughs> you're not really dating, there's no premarital sex unless it's a scandal. And so like the only way people can really get a sense of like how sexually compatible they would be is to dance together. And so like in Pride and Prejudice, there's this scene where Elizabeth is dancing with this ridiculous man, Mr. Collins. And like there are even lines about how like he was just always wrongly attending her and the moment of their release from each other was ecstasy. (laughs) It's just very dramatic and hilarious. And the idea is, oh, they're not compatible at all because they're so terrible at dancing together. And then later she dances with Mr. Darcy. And even, even though they're always fighting, gosh, they sure do dance well together. Maybe that's a silly comparison to make, but I wondered if she just thought they would be really good at this. You know, they'd been married for so long. And then the fact that they weren't maybe just, yeah, yeah, it was hard for her because she was like putting more stock into it than he was. He was just like, this is fun. And she's like, we suck at dancing together. This is a problem. (laughs) You know, maybe we're not compatible. That, That is so cool. The dancing part of that. Like if you can't dance with someone, maybe 
And that feels horrible when you go dance with someone and you both suck, like you're tripping over, <laughs> you're stepping on each other. That does make you feel bad. So yeah, maybe she is just mad that he's like going to town dancing with somebody else. But also that guy he was, the guy he was dancing with, Tony was like, is like a dancer. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he moves like a dream. <laughs> and now that you've mentioned yeah. the metaphorical aspect of dancing, maybe it's not just that she thought they'd be really good at it. Maybe she thought she'd be really good at it. And maybe she thought Zeke is the one who has work to do in our marriage. Ooh, yes. And then this feels like an example of maybe you have some work to do, Camille. Mm-hmm. And you're not blameless. I don't know. I I had not thought 100%. of that at all until we started talking. So that could be a real reach, but. I like it. Yeah, I was just really, I think that helped for me to talk through it with about Camille because I could not figure out what her problem was. I was totally like, Zeke's doing it. He's doing what you want him to do. What is your deal? Talking about it, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see that perspective now. You know, I think I related to her too, not on necessarily the dancing front, but just um, I tend to be very self-conscious and want to quit when I'm bad at something. And um, so I think I maybe recognized myself in that a little bit where, um, yeah, I think she just felt really awkward and and but yeah I, lo- I love everything we've just said out of this this is this is the best part of analyzing things it's the best part of analysis is just maybe a deeper appreciation and things that you're confused about you're like oh maybe that's it I don't know I just say mm-hmm. this because I just made a connection with my students the other day I was telling them about doing this podcast um and and it got them more excited about reading <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. It made me really happy because I was like, no, talking about it enhances your enjoyment. It doesn't it doesn't ruin it. You're not beating a dead horse. It like allows for new epiphanies and insights. Yeah. That advice Zeke gives to Adam about I guess it's not advice, but his explanation for why he goes to therapy. P.S. I was a little surprised that they've only been in therapy for eight weeks. Yeah, me too. It feels like longer, but. Whatever. I thought his attitude felt like it was very obviously setting up a change in Adam's view of Christina going to the support group and wanting him to go. Yeah. I thought these that's connecting two dots that are really close together. (laughs) But so speaking of the support group, this isn't really tied to that storyline. But in this episode, you see Max getting ready to play Sorry with Drew and Sydney. But in Gabby's first episode, Christina tells Gabby that he doesn't like board games. Yeah. So I thought either this is an inconsistency or Max has made some progress. I like to think it's Max has made some progress. That's what I like. I hope so. Also at the support group, we get a definitive answer as to how old he is. Oh, yeah. He's nine. Mm -hmm. So does that mean Hattie is still 15? Because Julia said there was a six-year age gap. Gosh, she seems like at least 16 by now. But I would think so, too. And she was just learning how to drive. But then I thought, well, you would learn when you're 15. I learned when I was 14 because that was summer birthday. Oh, oh. So I'm just saying you can be pretty young taking driver's ed and such. It's yeah. kind of bonkers. Anyway, this support group, I was so struck by this woman who speaks first. Oh, my gosh. At length yes. In the group. I, uh, I cried at McDonald's today. <laughs> Melanie, tell us about it. Um... I've been so stressed out being at home with Anthony, my six-year-old with Asperger's, all the time. I mean, my husband leaves for work at seven in the morning and sometimes I don't see him again until nine. 
So it's just me and Anthony all day. And don't get me wrong. God, I love my son to pieces. But it's a little like living on an island all day with these weird rules that don't apply to other people. You know, thinking, thinking all the time. Is this gonna set him off? What's that noise? Should I drive home a different way to avoid the barking dog? Always living with that, that pressure always so much that it feels like you can't breathe sometimes. You know what I mean? And Christina's just over there tearing up. So sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that was the most, I thought, powerful part of that scene was the push, pushing up on Christina's face and her just reacting to that so palpably. Yeah. I was also just amazed that that woman played by Anastasia Basil, I think is how you say her name. I don't know the actor, but I thought she was incredible. And it made me think it must be such a tough job just to be a guest star, period. Mm -hmm. That this is this is not your usual gig. You're just coming in for a few days. But then on top of that, to have to come in with such an emotional scene and with almost no context. There's yeah. no like before and after with her character. It's just like drop the needle on this really vulnerable thing. I think it would be such a big challenge. And I thought she was fantastic. Yeah. Christina obviously got so much from that support group. And since we were in the room with her and Adam wasn't, it's understandable that we would understand what this support group is meaning to her and that Adam wouldn't get it. But I still was like irrationally mad at him. That support group isn't as scary as it sounds. I think it's helpful. All right, Christina. It could be helpful to you. Let me explain something to you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's scary. I think it's stupid. You know, why have you? Mm-hmm. We have each other. I can talk about anything with you. That's enough for me. Okay. You'll be my group. <laughs> I love you. Mm. Good night. I'm going to keep going, though. Fine, I think you should. I was irrationally angry. I, I was like... Maybe you were rationally angry. Maybe I was rationally angry. I mean, I feel like the way she even approaches it, like right before that clip, she says, can I say something that's going to annoy you? And he's like, go ahead. You know, maybe that just that question annoyed him. Like, why, why would you start that way? But I think she's so nervous to bring it up, not because he's like some mean person, because obviously he's not, but she's vulnerable here. Maybe that's some sort of theme in this episode. You know, she's feeling vulnerable because she knows he doesn't want to do this, but it means so much to her that I'm like, Adam, I can see not wanting to go, but to belittle it after she just is obviously trying to tell you it meant something to her for him to be like, it's stupid. And then also I thought how tone deaf for him to say, I don't need a group. I have you. I'm like, well, she obviously needs an outlet. 
she can't just be brunting all of this herself and she's your outlet as well. Where's her outlet? You go to work all day, you know, kind of like Joel. And, and she's here with Max stressed out. And this, this group is a way of, of dealing. And for him to be like, oh, yeah, I don't need a group. I can just vent to you. I'm like, that's so insensitive. So what did you all think of that? I think it was uncharacteristic of him really surprising to me that he would not just get it Hmm, but I mean he does say that Max doesn't know that he has Asperger's so he's just not ready to go talk about it yet Hmm. that's a good point and I think we have seen that from him in lots of ways that he's not kind of ready to just admit to himself that his son is going to be different than the way he thought he was going to be yeah. It's funny, Melissa, you brought up something that I had a question about, which was Adam saying it was stupid. And I wondered, is it better to reveal your unvarnished opinion to your spouse in this case or to anyone close to you? Or should you be a little bit dishonest out of respect? Because I think he genuinely does think it's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, and that's not even in defense of him necessarily. It's just to point out, I don't think he's lying to her. Right. I think he's telling her what he really thinks. And I think he hasn't set it up to now because he knows that's going to hurt her feelings. So is it better if he if he said, yeah, yeah you're right. I do think it's scary <laughs> out of respect. Or, or that's not what he mean. That's not what he means. I'm glad you said that, Caleb, because it helps me, I think, understand why he says that. Because Heidi, I was with you. I thought it was uncharacteristic. But then I'm like. Yeah, okay. He's also not one to lie to Christina. And so that would be uncharacteristic as well. So yeah, that's that's a good point. Not that I necessarily think he did the right thing, but you just posing that question at all helps me understand why he would say that to her. Because to me, it just comes off as so hurtful. And I wonder, is there a compromise? Could he have been like, well, it's not that I think it's scary. I think it's unnecessary. I have you. You know, like... That's true. The word stupid is so charged. Yeah, yeah. He could he could whip out his thesaurus and, <laughs> and get his point across a little more sensibly. Yeah. I wondered, have either of you ever attended a support group of any kind? I mean, I realize that's perhaps personal. So <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a poem about this once. So I could say this uh, when I was 19 and 20, I, I dated um, an alcoholic and addict and he had to go to court mandated meetings. I maybe shouldn't say this because it's anonymous. It's right there in the title, but I'm not saying his name. Uh, so people who don't know me, you didn't tell anyone that it's, Oh God. (laughs) 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 Um, but it was so weird. Uh, the, the people in the group didn't mind that I went like, even though I wasn't, you know, an addict or an alcoholic, uh, but I would go and just sit with him and be supportive of him. And also because we were, you know, codependent and unhealthy. (laughs) So it wasn't just good that I went. But anyway, so I I did that for about a year and a half. I went to these AA meetings and um, yeah, it was, they they were fascinating. I felt like I learned a lot about um, human nature. I feel like it made me a better teacher actually, because it kind of plunged me into a world that I wouldn't have known much about without that. And I think that you really learned forgiveness yeah, from the soul forgiving yourself. So I would, I mean, I feel like you would then have forgiveness because I also have had some relationship with an addict and alcoholic and it, he had to find forgiveness in himself. Hmm. And that's, 
that's something to see somebody figure that out. So I feel like once you, you witness someone doing that, it, it makes you a better person to see mm. somebody else heal. I think that's what I meant to say. That's beautiful. Yeah. I haven't gone to a support group, but I, I don't think they're stupid. But I do worry that I would be judgmental of other people in the group. And maybe huh. that's a sign that I should go to one <laughs> in order to work on that. But like even in that first scene we saw, while I loved that actress who spoke, starting off with, I cried at McDonald's today, that's probably a very healthy thing to get <laughs> off your chest. But part of me was also rolling my eyes really? at that. Oh. Because it, it feels like it's a competition between losers to see who has the saddest story. What? Like who starts the story with, oh, well, um, I cried at McDonald's today. Oh my gosh. Blue ribbon to me. And, and who can get, who can garner the most attention and sympathy. And I, I freely acknowledge that's a terrible attitude for me to have. But I do think that people like that absolutely do exist. And I don't think you'd ever be able to have one of those groups without having some of them in it. And thus, I I would worry about my own presence in one of those groups. Would I be would yeah. I be really open to taking what might be there available to me, or would I be petty and judgmental? Wow, that's I don't like that well, about you- myself. But that's I feel like that's where I would or I could end up. That attention seeking behavior is annoying. I feel like I understand what you mean on that because I yeah. I'll have some students doing something totally annoying and it's just totally to get attention and you just have to ignore it. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's what that McDonald's mom was doing. It just, it did go through my head. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm so someone who would start a conversation by saying I cried at McDonald's today. (laughs) So I, I just, I feel like that was an unburdening and that's the safe place Mm -hmm. to do it is at the group, you know, with other people who will understand unless Caleb's there. (laughs) I was saying, because you're saying that now and you're right. Like I have no doubt that you're right. Oh no. But no, I mean, actually this is funny. I remember when I first started at Lawrence high. uh, So it was 2018 And I was just very overwhelmed because I'd only been in one other district before and it was at my old high school. I taught there for 12 years and I was so comfortable there. And so even just moving two hours away and starting a a new job really freaked me out. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed one of the first like professional development days. And I just, before I drove home, I just cried in my car. (laughs) Like I just got into the car and then I just started sobbing. And then the next day, with people I really didn't know, I was like joking about it to be self-deprecating. You know, people are like, how are you adjusting? I'm like, I cried in my car yesterday, but I'm fine. <laughs> you know, And it was funny because some people like sort of laughed with me, you know, and were like, oh, I've been there, you know, and it was like a bonding yeah. moment. And I could tell that it was off-putting to others. Like they were like uncomfortable, like, whoa, overshare, you know, like, why would you just admit that to a stranger? And so oh, I do... Wow. Well, but I bring it up because I think it might be an interesting thing where like Adam in the show and then like, you know, maybe Caleb, like some people are just like, there's a certain level you don't get personal with pe- like with strangers, you know, and that might be the part that some people find stupid about something like this or or maybe stupid is actually code for like vulnerable or too much or or just, you know, just 
like uncomfortable, emotional, you know, like I'm, I'm just thinking like these might be words that Adam could have used instead, like to, to explain why this is not his jam. Like it's just, you, you know, the process is like an inside thing. You just work on it yourself in private. You don't talk to people about it. Whereas I think someone like Christina and someone like me and someone like that woman who cried at McDonald's, they, you know, it's, it's more of a like, talking very openly about emotions and breakdowns normalizes it maybe like makes it more okay to the, you know just like ugh, can I just admit to you that this is how I'm feeling and not have to deal with it privately yeah I want to deal with it publicly help me um well, that's why yeah. there are different types of therapy you know there's people that just get away from everyone they go out sort of into nature and sort of heal, heal themselves that way. Everyone has, you know, their own way of working through things. And maybe you're right. That's just not Adam's thing to go to a group. It's funny though, you just saying that made me realize sometimes I'm the opposite of what I just said. Like when someone in my family dies, I don't like to post about it on social media like right away. I like to wait a while and just kind of grieve privately first. So I just contradicted myself right there. Like I, 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 grieving man and like struggling. It's so complicated. Although I think social media is its own thing. Yeah. I don't know that I'd want to, I don't, I don't don't perceive your reluctance to post about it as I don't want to talk about it. Mm, Yeah. I interpret that as you understanding social media (laughs) is not the same as actual talk. To me, that's that is attention seeking the social media Mm. stuff. My dad passed away a year ago and I did finally put something on social media so that like some of our family could see it. But then I was like, I didn't want all the, Oh, I'm so sorry. Cause like, yes. oh, it's like a weird feeling of that's not what I had it on there for. I appreciated it. I mean, but it's a weird thing. Yeah. And, you know, and this just raises a good point. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure lots of people who do post about loved ones they've lost on social media right away are not just seeking attention and maybe they really need that outpouring yeah. for their own benefit yeah. in that moment or, or, or whatever. So I guess the lesson, the lesson I at least need to learn <laughs> is not to judge the way other people grieve or process their feelings. But that's, that's something I, I just admit I'm not very good at, which is why I would worry about myself in a support group. Yeah. Melissa, you said some people aren't comfortable hearing that from others. For me, it wouldn't be the overshare aspect. I don't think it's overshare, especially in a support group. Right. I would just constantly, I think, be questioning their motives. Huh. Like, why do you start that story off with, I cried in McDonald's today? That feels craving pity or attention. But, you know, coming from you, I might understand that it was self-deprecation yeah. and a way into revealing some hard things to talk about. Well, let me kind of crack a joke at my own expense before I get into the really vulnerable stuff. I just, yeah, I need to, I need to judge less. Well, but I think this is a fascinating conversation because I think it's really getting at the heart of the essential difference between Adam and Christina's reaction to such a group. And I think this conversation is helping me understand why Adam was so reluctant because I was really just mad at him and thinking he was being a jerk. But this conversation is helping me see, I think, think it's more complicated than that because Adam is obviously not a jerk he's a wonderful person and and such a good husband you know and so for him to call something that's helping his wife stupid 
I, we got to delve into what would motivate that. So. Another thing I found interesting about that scene, based on observations you've made, Melissa, about how Christina and Adam sometimes feel indistinguishable and she seems very deferential to him. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very significant that at the end of the scene, she waited a bit and then she said, I'm going to keep going, though. It's, it feels like the first time we've ever seen her make a decision in opposition to him. Yeah. And then, yes, he said, fine, I think you should. And I think he means it, but it, it did kind of ring a little hollow. <laughs> it was like, that's not support. It's just permission, isn't it? Like, uh, But I, I was really proud of her it felt like an event mm-hmm. her having her own opinion about something and doing it on her own yeah and that she even i felt like she even was respectful of his point of view you know he said i love you and she said it back and it seemed like they were agreeing to disagree i'm realizing i don't think there were really any fights in this episode there were a lot of just differences of opinion you know with like joel and julia and with adam and christina you know and even kelsey and and amber so the ones we've talked about so far i don't feel like any of them really fought i feel like they just didn't see it the same way they just came at it differently now later when max asks where christina is i did not like adam flat out lying to his son i mean i don't think adam liked it either to be fair but I think it kind of rankles me because I'm not entirely sure of their rationale for not telling Max about his diagnosis. This to me feels like an is it easier for him or easier for you kind of question. Do we think Max would have a hard time with it or do we think Adam would have a hard time with it? What do you think, Heidi? I I have a student that has this on the autism spectrum, very high functioning, and he has told me, I didn't have any of these problems until I got this label or diagnosis. So he knew, and I don't think he was diagnosed until maybe middle school. So he knew, he knows that he has this diagnosis. I can't imagine being a parent and having a child with, and I hate to even say disability because it's abilities that everybody has that are different, but it's different in our society, man, that would be hard to tell your kid. But then like, did it really change things for my student? I mean, I don't know. I guess I need to ask him, you know, what did you, I, you know, now that I can, he's a junior. And I also have a student that is now, gosh, he's probably like 25 or something. And he's like full blown, like, this is my diagnosis. This is how it affects my life. And he just talks about it. You know, it's really interesting. So I don't think that Adam essentially lying to him is, I, I mean, I feel like in that situation, it was where he's at. Max is smart enough to know that this would be considered bad to have this diagnosis. Especially the way the family talks about it. They're always like, there's something wrong. (laughs) I I hate that that's the way that they talk about it still. Well, and I was torn about that with Adam's speech when he does go to the group. Mm -hmm. First of all, I was glad he went to the group. Me too. But, you know, we've been discussing the terminology they use around it generally I don't have a super negative reaction to it because I feel like I can understand where they're coming from and that it's, it's a difference that is going to be challenging in ways they're maybe not naturally equipped to handle. So like, that's what they mean. And they just shorten it to there's something wrong. And yet this one really did. It was like involuntarily bugged me that he was saying he dreads telling him. I, I don't know. It, that did not sit well with me. From my field, we see it as like, 
all right, you have Asperger's. Here's your strengths. We're going to use them. Yeah. Especially in high school, my students all come to me and they already, they've had their diagnosis by the time they get to high school. Whereas I've seen my sister who's an early childhood special educator. So she has babies that they're diagnosing, you know, telling wow. parents, your kid is going to have these struggles. The parents got to come to that first long before the kid is told because they're just kids, you know? Yeah. You know, I might have just explained to myself why Adam needs to go to this group because while these thoughts struck me as kind of ugly, that's exactly what you would want a support group for because you can't stop yourself from having whatever feelings you're having. Yeah. But you got to process them and work through them. And he's probably not going to find a more compassionate, understanding group to say, yeah, I thought all of those things too. I dreaded telling them because I thought it was an affliction of some kind. And here's how I dealt uh-huh. with it. And yeah. so yeah. He, it's, yeah, he's right where he needs to be. And I guess they need to meet him where he is. Yeah. Just like he needs to meet Max where Max is. But it was it was a shocking thing to hear. You know, I will also say this. Perhaps one of the, the reasons that Adam had all these feelings about the support group and everything is because, as, as you know, Zika said, he, you know, Adam is a fixer and Adam wants to fix other people. Good point. And yeah, I think the idea of himself, like he needing to change, you know, him needing to change, I, I think that's really hard for him. I think he wants to take on everything himself and just deal with it, process it. Yeah, I think needing help is probably really hard for him. Yeah. Well, moving on, I think I've noticed another thing about parenthood, which is that I think exposition is not their strong suit. I mean, come on, this is the biggest retail sports convention ever. It's going to be huge. Yeah, and we need to sell some shoes there this year. (laughs) Now, in what universe do they both not know everything they've just said? That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, the next scene, Gordon goes in and makes this announcement about who gets the job. I thought, well, there is a really natural place to tell us what this convention (laughs) is. I'm happy to announce the person who will be joining me at this year's da-da-da-da-da-da convention where we need to sell some shoes. Like, I don't know, but whatever. They're doing the best they can. (laughs) I thought Gordon picking Sarah felt like, a pretty flagrant abuse of power. It right? was gross. And, and, and Adam <laughs> clearly had no idea. Clearly. Is that what we're supposed yeah. to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're all like, you know, you can see in their eyes like he's going to pick me, you know? Right. <laughs> well, and they're then after he picks him. Sarah, who's like probably the most recently hired person there, they all know why, you know, yeah. they all have these looks on their faces like, I don't know. It was very gross. I, I. I found Gordon kind of amusing prior to this episode. I was like, all right, whatever. He's kind of funny. In this episode, I'm like, oh, I hate him. Hate him. Yeah. 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 Sidebar, I loved seeing Sarah in the scene with Amber where she was like drilling all the facts. I loved just seeing Sarah in like at home clothes and with her hair up and not made up. For one thing, it just made me realize how often people in TV, especially women, are just always made up <laughs> yeah. and you know they look beautiful so good for them but it was just nice to see like sarah at home with her daughter drilling facts about these shoe employees yeah she would look like that and i thought, she's still beautiful because she's still lauren graham Big grief. But, gorgeous like yeah let your hair down i don't know okay <laughs> but yeah i hated gordon too that scene with when mike oh that's the most finds awkward them both there. yes oh 
Hold on a moment. I'd like to propose a toast to Sarah Braverman. The best booth job ever. Oh, thanks a lot. You give good booth. Sarah? Look at you. You look beautiful. Oh, thanks. Gee, um, you know Gordon, our boss? This is, you know, Mike. He works in the warehouse. For me? Yeah. Oh, great, man. What's your name again? Mike. Mike. Yeah, I met you before. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I'm yeah, sorry. It's cool. Yeah. Welcome aboard. Thanks, man. All right, all right. So, uh, we still on for later this week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll call you. We got a little work thing. But I'll call you. I'll call you. Um, yeah, maybe next week or something. No, no, I'll call you. <clears throat> Good to meet you, man. See you at the office. Ugh. Hate Ugh. that. Yeah. All about, there's so much, of, I, I don't like the way Sarah is behaving no. to this gross guy. Just for what? Because, I don't know, because he has power, because he's good looking. And he says, oh, you work for me. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus. I just put down, I want to care about Sarah and her job at the shoe conference <laughs> and her budding relationships with Mike or Gordon. Except that's a lie. I don't want to care about any of them. And ta-da, I don't. I just look, skip it. Skip it all. But yeah, I agree. I, I find him so repulsive. And like saying something like, you give good booth. Yeah, what the is hell? It's so disgusting. And I love her reaction at first. Thanks for the best booth job. It seemed like she was genuinely disgusted and then was yes. trying to slough it off as a joke. Yeah. But I thought, no, she means it. She is disgusted. That's because the thing is, she's got to she's got to know, just like all those other people, why yeah. he picked her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That can't yeah. make her feel good about herself. But I think she tricks herself kind of, you know, like it, it struck me as almost like the Cinderella scene. I mean, there it's even about shoes. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like there's it's, <laughs> it just struck me as she was like dressing up for the ball or something. Thank you for this amazing day. I'll never forget it. Please, I should be thanking you. No, you have no idea how great that made me feel. I'm... Tomorrow I'll return this dress with the tag still on, give my sister back these beautiful shoes and go back to being an intern slash bartender. Today was a real gift. You have no idea how great you are, do you? I just, uh, don't get to meet a lot of girls like you. Thanks. 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 I didn't include the kiss because I just can't. No. no. I can't even. <laughs> I, I Mm, all right. So the compassionate way for me to look at this storyline and scene, when he says to her, you have no idea how great you are. No, she doesn't. That's yeah, I agree with that. That's the whole reason why she's even falling for this shit is because she has no idea how great she is, because if she did, she would yeah. be with the real guy, you know, like with yeah. Mike, who is not as rich or powerful, but who has a real sense of self and isn't smarmy and is a decent human being, you know? And, and the fact that she's so easily impressed by this nonsense, it's just, it really, really affects the way I see her almost, you know? So that's the less compassionate way where I'm like, 
do I just love Lauren Graham so much that I keep trying to make Sarah a good person and she's not? Because I'm thinking of this scene and I'm thinking of the scene in the pilot where she like excuses herself from her date with Jim to call uh, Julia and, and say, this is who I am to you, a fat balding barista. You know, it's like she is so snobby sometimes and I think it really is more about her and how she's perceived than it is about the men themselves. But it's still like such a terrible look. I'm like, if you were just confident, then maybe you could be with a caring person. But you're just really impressed. Yeah, by shallow stuff. And well, she's not confident. Right. That's, yeah. that's why she goes that way. Yeah. I, it's funny. I feel like you're being harder on her <laughs> than I was feeling. And yet you might be right because I, first of all, I can't remember my reaction to this scene the first time around, but man, I was cringing Ugh. throughout the second half of the scene. Yeah. It, we've talked a lot about her self image and her expressing what excelling at this job meant to her was so wonderful. I was so happy for mm -hmm. her. And even if she had been chosen for this bad reason, that she stepped up. She was good at it. She took it really seriously and she proved that she could do a good job and that she's valuable. I was like, rock on, Sarah. And then I just felt like Gordon swooped in and essentially said she hadn't earned any of it. Mm -hmm. And by kissing her, it was like the only reason she was there is because he was attracted to her. And yet she does seem to enjoy it, yeah. I, I suppose. I have another beef with this, though, because not only do I not like the the questions it raises about her character, I also think there's a more interesting storyline to be had. Wouldn't it be so much more interesting if she was really hurt by him kissing her? Yes. And then she had to weigh the consequences of saying something about it to him or just keeping quiet because it might affect her future at this job, which she only got because her brother took a chance on her. Mm -hmm. Instead, she's just falling for a guy that I can't stand. And then I'm like, well, hard pass. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been, not, I mean, obviously this was way before me too, but it wasn't before some awareness, you know, it was well after Anita Hill. Yeah. People knew what sexual harassment was. And I think Speaking from my perspective, as someone who doesn't encounter, I'm not a victim of sexual harassment, you know, almost ever. But I think it's easy for people to have a, a caricature in their mind of what it looks like, which is some nefarious, villainous person. That's what it looked like to me, though. Laying out <laughs> in very black and white terms, you know. And instead, I think it's what this storyline is, which is I don't think Gordon is necessarily a villain, but he is putting her. He's in using a really, his power. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I mean, he, she wouldn't have gotten that job yeah. if he didn't want her sexually. And she, even if she didn't like the kiss, he would have been putting her in a position where it's almost impossible for her to say that she didn't like it without fearing for her job. I just that would be cool to depict that, that it's not a guy twirling his mustache, exploiting some helpless person. Mm -hmm. It's complicated and it's, and maybe there are feelings involved, but that doesn't excuse bad behavior from a boss to his intern. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I will also say, I didn't think of this while we were watching the episode, but our conversation now is making me think of uh, how complicated the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky affair, you know, whatever you want to call it was because 
Monica Lewinsky has since spoken out about just how complicated that is. You know, she was interested in Bill Clinton. You know, it, she, she has made a point to say that was consensual. I fell in love with my boss. She even uses those words. But at the same time, I think now as a woman in her 40s, Monica Lewinsky realizes things she did not as like a 22-year-old mm-hmm. intern working for the most powerful man in the world, arguably, um, which is that... That was a terrible, gross abuse of power, and it was up to him to stop it. You know, so even though I was saying this episode makes me question Sarah's behavior, I I do think obviously it's it's way worse what Gordon does. You know, Sarah's closer to forty and and not like Monica Lewinsky being you know so young in her early twenties, but but still it it's she is naive I think when it comes to this job she's never really had like a a quote-unquote like career type job before and I think she wants to be accepted so badly and I think the validation coming from like the boss of the whole company who also is kind of a Baldwin (laughs) there's my little clueless joke um I feel like that would that it checks out to me why why she would let that slide yeah yeah why why she would maybe fall for it you know and and instead of calling it out as being terrible well and it you know it's just the horrible things that women have gone along with Mm -hmm. in order to move ahead in their jobs well yeah because what's even if she hated it what's she supposed to do she can either go to gordon Mm one-on-one and tell him i'm not interested in you and then be working for a guy who she has rejected Or she could go to HR and rat out the boss of the entire company. And then who knows who she might be pissing off, not just him, but maybe other people who are loyal to like, yeah, there's just, he put her in the worst situation, the worst situation. And I think we are the audience are supposed to find this maybe romantic and maybe I'm, are we, maybe we're not. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I do think I'm certainly disliking it more than we're meant to, even if we are supposed to think there's like some potential lines being crossed. Mm. I didn't think that was the main thrust of it. I I mean, it is like, Oh, he likes her. That is (laughs) Billy Baldwin. You know, he's a sexy guy. Maybe we were supposed to take it as, Ooh, she's, you know, he's so hot. I think this is what 10 years does to a storyline. Totally. Yeah. And and post me too. Like, like, yeah, I I think that maybe this was kind of meant to be charming. And I think now we're just seeing red flag after red flag. We're like, Oh no, not okay. And you know, I, I could even conceive of. mm, Can I, (laughs) I was going to say, I can even conceive of this exact storyline coming off as charming if a couple of things were changed. But then I think of like picking the person that you like to come do this job when they're not the most qualified because you like them. I don't know that that's ever going to be okay. I I think there is perhaps a way in which a boss and an intern could fall in love and have a relationship. Maybe, Maybe. but this is definitely not it. No. (laughs) Well, and you know, it, it is interesting. Like her two, options right now are both co-workers which is probably not wise either way but at least with Mike there wasn't like an abuse of power they were yeah. you know in totally separate departments I guess you know and and I don't it think was real. yeah yeah not too 
Well, moving on to a much healthier relationship. <laughs> Crosby and Jasmine. Oh. I think Woo. people know that. Well, longtime Parenthood viewers will probably know that Joel and Julia are often combined as Jolia <laughs> among fans. And in my sound clips, I started labeling Jasmine and Crosby as Jazby. Oh, what do we think? I like it. <laughs> I'm a fan. The other, the other option would be Crosman. No, I think Jazby is way cuter. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe just because you have a dog named Jazzy. That might be it. <laughs> I like it. So they're trying to impress the guy at Sycamore Charter. Listen, we got to get creative here, okay? The competition is too stiff. We need to think about adding another layer to this. We're, we can't just... What kind of... What are you talking about? We need to do... We need to bring our A game, okay? Listen. What are you... What is that? For all these rings from Julie and Joel, Okay. <laughs> Listen, that couple in there, they're completely normal, all right? And they're stable. And? Well, and we're not stable. We... <laughs> this is the school, okay? We gotta be the couple, you know? We can't just go in there all free-spirited bohemian and think they're gonna let us in, so just <laughs> pop this I'm on. Not doing, I'm what not doing... I'm not doing... No, this is ridiculous. It's not Crosby, ridiculous. It is. Look, we're awesome. And we're exactly the kind of couple that they want at the school's parents. You know why? Because we're bright, we're loving, we're ethical, we love each other, and that's all that we need. Okay? Trust me. That speech she gives him, this is my favorite they have been as a couple thus far. Like, I just found them precious in this episode. Like, <laughs> oh, so sweet. It's time for me to play my greatest hit. Would this happen in Berkeley? <laughs> Would a school in Berkeley of all places care if the parents of a yeah. child weren't married? Or if, oh, she's a dancer. Uh-oh, that's unreliable. Yeah, that's... What? It's Berkeley. Yeah. And like, Crosby's saying, we can't come across as free-spirited and, and bohemian. What? Like everyone who lives in that town? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that was totally more the public versus private school conversation I feel like they wanted us to have than thinking about where they were at. Yeah. Heidi, that is a good point. And as public school teachers, did you have a thought about the fact that this charter school was the school and uh, any public school they could have gone to is just crap? You know, like, did you have any thoughts on that? Because it really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And I just, it just made me think about, like, I wonder what the diversity would be for Jabbar to go to this school. That's a good question. It's so funny. I just did a quick Google search of how are Berkeley public schools. And the very first result is from the berkeleyparentsnetwork.org. And I didn't even click on the website. This is just the little preview. It gives you under the link. It says Berkeley public schools versus private schools. And underneath it says, that said, the public schools in Northwest Berkeley have such rave reviews and the private schools, while good, seem to be more of a mixed bag less ethnically and economically diverse mm -hmm. reports of bullying, not being effectively handled, etc. I can't imagine that there's more diversity in a private school. They don't have to serve students with IEPs. Like we have students in Lawrence who get their services from USD 497 because the private school they're in does not have a special ed teacher. Wow. <laughs> I remember back when I was in Pittsburgh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who taught at the Catholic private school. And she made a comment about how she taught at the best school in town. And I was enraged. <laughs> and I 
really tried to play it off like I wasn't. Um, but I just, I don't know. I It's hard for me to even articulate it. But I thought, well, first of all, you're not because we're the more diverse accepting school. And then I thought, even if we're using the same yardstick you're using, I know for a fact that we have way more AP classes. Like we're more diverse across the board, I thought. You know, I, I was just... <laughs> and you don't make pregnant students leave. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Did they do that? I can't even. I don't know, but I feel like they might have. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, Ugh. I, I I don't know. I just I just can't imagine working in a school where you're just not automatically accepted because that's where I've always taught. You know, it's like you need education, come here, and we will educate you. And I think that's beautiful, and that's how it should be. So anyway. Aside from that, I loved that. I agree with you that they were adorable. They were. And I I loved when they were with the principal. At first, it was a really cute scene and it was like kind of comedic and funny. And then I loved that it unexpectedly turned a little bit deeper. Yeah. And I also really liked two things. One, aside from them saying that they were married, I don't think anything else they said wasn't true. Mm -hmm. And they were really talking each other up him bragging on her Alvin Ailey uh, accomplishment and her saying he was a great producer. And so I loved that. And then I also loved how the camera work revealed something with no dialogue, just that little shot down to her looking at the ring. I loved that. And then looking at him, you just got it. You didn't need any words. Yeah. And I, I especially loved so random, <laughs> but when, when Crosby was offering to bring the kids down to the studio the principal said, oh, they would love that. That would make their day. And Crosby saying, I think that would make all of our days. Oh. <laughs> it's it's such a good showcase of like just how precious Crosby is. I think it's why that character works. Because he's not just a screw up, like, which he sometimes calls himself and other people sometimes call him. But man, that big heart that he has. That is, he totally means that. He would love to march all those kids down to the studio and play with them. Like... And that feels so Zeke to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I loved at the end, you know, when I mentioned that I can't always remember exactly what's coming next, I thought that maybe there was going to be a proposal in this scene. You know, the whole time you were gone, I never stopped hoping that we'd all be back together. And this is kind of how I hoped it would be. Oh yeah, thank you. Julia will kill me if you. But you could. Do you want to? No, you should. You should give it back. Uh, I thought it was so beautiful, and Dax Shepard's performance in particular is so compelling. I would swear I could feel his love for her weighing on him, and that it was like so immense and so foreign to him that he was almost intimidated by it or something, and just didn't know how to handle it. And I thought that was such an interesting concept. And it, it also weirdly made me think of Katie 
maybe just because it was on the boat and that's where they broke up. But how that feeling was never present right, between them. Right. I don't think. No. And I don't know. I, I've never been in love, but this felt like a real clear example of that cliche when you know, you know. Oh. And I think he knows, but he's just like such a stranger in a strange land with that knowledge that he doesn't know how to act on it. That's beautiful. Heidi, did you have any thoughts on that scene? Mm. All I could hear is the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also really loved the music in that scene. Oh, it was pretty. Yeah. I feel like you had the guitar, which we usually have, but then there was that kind of synthy sound on top of it all yeah. that kind of sounded like starlight. Oh. That's not a thing, but <laughs> but, but that's that's how I felt. And it was it was just a nice new color that I hadn't heard that I thought really added. I I think that he changed his mind in that scene like I think he really was going to spontaneously propose Mm. and I think he changed his mind and not because he doesn't love her but because I think like you said I think he got scared or maybe a little freaked out and and maybe also didn't want to scare her yeah I mean I guess he could have used that and said didn't that feel great that oh great to be married but (laughs) went into that pretending there wasn't a discussion about being married to each other was just we gotta do this to get Jabbar into school. I think it did make both of them think about marriage. Yeah. Like yeah. we saw that Jasmine did because she kept looking down, but I feel like that scene was our indication that he was thinking about it too. Cause it really yeah. did feel like a proposal. Yeah. But then I think, yeah, and, and maybe he's afraid of going too fast and screwing it up, which I think is wise. Like yeah. they really haven't been together that long. And I do think proceed with caution kind of you know like I I think you can put too much pressure on a new relationship no matter how wonderful it is and so it's funny there was a deleted scene on the DVD from this episode and it was Crosby showing up at Sarah's bar huh and he brought a pizza with him <laughs> to celebrate both of them he's proud of getting Jabbar into the school and she is proud of herself for doing a good job at the shoe show oh and they congratulate each other and literally refer to themselves as the screw-up Bravermans. Oh, that's so sad. But then Crosby hits on a hot girl at the bar. <gasps> oh, no. And she turns him down. What? And he realizes it's because he still has his wedding ring on. What? And that, that's Ew. why she was not flirting back with him. Okay, I'm so glad they cut that. Yeah, I was like, yuck, that's way to wreck an adorable, sweet, you know, chapter in their relationship. (laughs) Like, well, and maybe, I mean, I know, I think I've pretty fairly characterized it. Hit on maybe is too much. He was flirting with her Mm. and then he offered her a piece of pizza. And that's when she goes, no, thank you. And that's when he realizes, oh, she sees my ring and she's like, oh, they're everywhere you go. You're like married guys hitting on her, I guess. But huh. but still, and I, I thought like, I suppose it illustrates him wrestling with mm-hmm. starting a new chapter in his life and what it means he would be leaving behind. And man, while that may be authentic to that character, it's just so unflattering Ugh. and disappointing. And I thought maybe I don't want to see all those complexities within him. I'd, I'd rather just think of him as a purely good guy yeah, maybe that's why they took it out because he does have so. Jabbar in his life now. He doesn't just have some person that he, or a woman that he's having sex with. He also has Jabbar. And maybe that's, I mean, I think to me, that's the bigness of Crosby 
hmm. is that he's grown from having a child. He's, he's, it's made him a better person. It's made him make changes. Maybe that's why they didn't put that in there because the story is Crosby and Jabbar. Well, and with Jasmine, I mean, I think this episode finally, maybe in my opinion, was as much exploring his feelings for Jasmine mm-hmm. as as his feelings for Jabbar, you know, because in past episodes, Caleb and I have wondered to what extent is she like an extension of his son and him him just being overwhelmed with love for his son. This episode, I think what I loved about it so much was I was like, I think he loves her, which he should. It's funny. Jabbar wasn't even in this episode, was he? Mm -mm. Was he not? I don't think he was at that big dinner. No, I guess you're right. Maybe he, he wasn't playing sorry. Yeah, maybe he was with Renee. I just, that, that would have been like a side story of like, some crap sitcom that you know like oh that's the storyline that everybody wants to see and they just chose not to go that to give up my bachelor life and it's it's such a cliche and you know there there are so many men who want love as much as women do and it is just so silly to act like it's a horrible storyline yeah horrible storyline although then i wonder well we have kind of been setting up like weird flirting with Gabby at times, it seems like. But even that feels different, like attraction to one person than like he's just randomly hitting on everyone he sees. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because if he's attracted to Gabby, then fight it, find a way, (laughs) find a way to like make peace with that. But if he is attracted to Gabby and he hits with, you know, on a a random woman at the bar, then it's like, who are you, Crosby? You know, then it's like, yeah. what are you working through? I, I guess just commitment issues in general. But I don't know. He seems so in love with with Jasmine that I'm like, just go with that. You're you're happy, and, and she loves also, you now somehow. I'm, now I'm realizing <laughs> in that deleted scene, Sarah is so proud of herself for the job that she did, but she doesn't mention anything about Gordon. Oh. It's not like, oh, I met someone. Oh, I really hit it. No, and and maybe she's keeping it private. But to me, it's like. Yeah, one of those things actually mattered to her and one of them didn't. <laughs> and I say, run with the thing that mattered to you. Yeah. You can be good at your job. Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Whatever. You know, I don't, in, in summary, I guess, <laughs> I, I don't know if there's any whole episode of Parenthood that I dislike, mm-hmm. but I didn't care much for this episode, really? to be honest. Huh. No storyline really grabbed me. And the Sarah one, I actually did sort of actively dislike and they all felt a little like undercooked if I may misuse a word <laughs> like the kiss with Gordon was gross of course yes Adam's speech at the group felt off Julia's speech to Sydney about the bubble felt strange <laughs> uh, even Zeke reassuring Camille at the end it felt so genuine to start with but then it like just missed the mark I felt when he said I'm not gonna lose you mm-hmm. that felt like how about you're sorry that you never recognized that she felt that way yeah. or like a commitment to her that you're going to try to never make her feel that way again or helping her through those feelings or something not so in, it felt really inwardly focused. Yeah. Or I'm going to yeah. get what I want. Or how about you're not going to lose me, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And maybe he, if he said, I'm not going to lose sight of you mm. or something, you know, where she said, I felt you didn't see me uh, or something, yeah. but it just, that's it why they're in like therapy, right? A hair off of the mark. Amber's was successfully resolved, I thought. But like I said, it was almost so successful that it was kind of boring. So the Crosby storyline, yet again, felt like the most satisfying all around. I think maybe this is Crosby's season. It might be. Not to say that he wasn't great in season one, 
but he's he's been the highlight of pretty much every episode thus far in season two i think yeah it felt like a real showcase well and Sometimes I feel like he and Jasmine, it's up to them to bring the joy <laughs> and they're, they, they brought the joy in this one. I really, really loved Joy Bryant's performance in the clip you played earlier when, when she was reassuring him that they didn't need those rings, that they didn't need to put on an act, you know, because they were awesome. And it, I like that they both used the word awesome, which is a word that I might call silly, but like it felt perfect when each of them said it, you know, when she was like, we're awesome. And then later when he doesn't propose, but instead he says, you're awesome. You know, it just in their hands, it felt like or in their mouths, I should say, it, it <laughs> felt like the highest compliment you could possibly give another person. It was so cute. I could cry. I don't know. I, I really did love all that. What did you think of the episode as a whole? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I do remember eventually loving season two. I remember that there are some things that happened that are maybe amongst my favorite in the whole series. But so far, I think season two is kind of a letdown after season one. And I think part of it is really not caring about Sarah at TNS footwear. I'm like, oh, yeah. whose idea yeah. was it to just spend tons more time at Adam's boring job? That's a terrible plan, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I just feel like it's taken them a little while to get like their groove back. I actually think I remember them getting it back pretty soon. I know next week is the Halloween episode and I am a sucker for Halloween episodes. I do have a memory of thinking it's a lot of fun. So maybe that'll like snap well, it Camille, back. Camille has her house all decorated with Halloween. She's getting yes, ready. Yes, that's right. I noticed that too. I was like, that's kind of cute. Sometimes no, I, I didn't notice on the banister when they're um, about to dance. I noticed there were a bunch of like jack-o'-lanterns hanging out huh. like paper. And I wonder, does Zeke care <laughs> about those decorations? I also noticed Christina and Adam's bathroom. I loved her pink sink. Like the tile is kind of that uh, mint color with some black in there. It's funny. In our last episode, Caleb and our guests noticed the bathroom and I really didn't. And they were talking about how much they hated it. And so I spent like special, I paid special attention this time to their bathroom. <laughs> I loved their bathroom, but yeah. I tend to like things that are sort of like, retro looking it's and i thought that retro. yeah yeah i thought it it wasn't modern like well, the rest of the house i believe i said i liked the oh, bathroom good, good. but because it was a crappy bathroom because it was really uh, small yeah and i liked that oh yeah they had this amazing house but the the ensuite bathroom in the master bedroom <laughs> is the one like drawback that's true the one imperfection in their lives they have to deal with <laughs> yeah they had to like <laughs> share a sink which you really noticed because they had to spit at the same time oh, i want to see a tearful <laughs> confession from christina to adam that she wants the bathroom remodeled <laughs> <laughs> i will say that mark and i have never had to share a bathroom we live in a really small house but we you know don't have kids and we have two bathrooms so he has one and i have one and sometimes he jokes it's the secret to the whole thing like just it's a good idea <laughs> yeah we just have our own just separate your thing <laughs> i agree yeah well this also felt like a very couple focused episode to me that was kind of the closest i felt to a theme maybe about showing up for your partner or supporting them adam and christina joel and julia jasmine and crosby zeke and camille i guess sarah and gordon oh well she no. showed up for him <laughs> and he showed up for her whether she wanted him to or not but I don't know that I felt any particular insight into those couples. 
outside of that last scene between Crosby and Jasmine, which did feel like something very special. Yeah, no, that was beautiful. I I think for me, if there was a theme, it was that whole like just seeing different sides of of a situation, which I guess you could say that happens in a lot of episodes. But in this one, sometimes it's really obvious, I think, who's right and who's wrong. And in this episode, I felt less of that. You know, I I thought it was just different people's experiences really informing their opinions. So... Anyway, better luck next week, Parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> Heidi, did you um, have any final uh, thoughts on the episode or insights that you wanted to to share? I didn't have like a huge connection to this episode. And I was kind of worried about that. Is it terrible of me to tell you all? But I was like, oh, my gosh, because like there's so much of Sarah's story that like, do you remember the episode where Amber tells Sarah, you were always there. And I, and I wrote the episode down when I, whenever I watched it a long time ago and I made my sister watch it Aww. because it, it was like watching something I would say to my mom or that I hope my kids have for me. I just, I love Sarah's story so much. I have so much connection to that story. <laughs> you are not the first uh, guest to say that. I remember my friend Angela said that too, that she really felt like she connected with Sarah and I, Sarah is one of my favorite characters. I mean, I love her. I think it was why it was hard for me to watch her in this one because I was like, what are you doing? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I love her and I root for her, I think, um, when she doesn't root for herself. So. Well, it was great though. It was so much fun. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, I'm glad. Is, you. This is just, I mean, it is like a great, well-written book that you want to talk about all you want to talk about it with yeah. people. It's so amazing. <laughs> I know. And I think that even the episodes I don't enjoy as much watching, I always enjoy talking about them. I hope people enjoy listening. Um, right. <laughs> but Well, and I feel like there's definitely always like a baseline of craft. Like I wouldn't say this was a bad episode. No. No, everyone, everyone in it is good. It's certainly well acted. And there clearly was so much stuff to discuss. That's yeah. because, you know, if it were an empty episode, there wouldn't be. I guess also when quality is consistently very good, it raises the bar yeah. to constantly be there. And and also then just personal taste. You know, like I said, I couldn't connect with the Sydney sleeping in the bed storyline. That's not the show's fault. <laughs> yeah. It might have been a, you know, Chameleon Zeke people that saw that relationship and that they love this episode because that's their yeah. story. Yeah. Gordon, I hate. I will say that. I was just thinking that. I was like, if there are any Gordon fans out there. Oh, that'd be so interesting. I would love to hear their their reasons. Not because I want to fight with them. I Is there something I'm missing? Or or is there anyone who does find him charming? Right. It could just there be a matter be. of taste. I don't find him charming. You know, but. I really did think he was funny in the season two premiere before yeah, he was true. set up as a love interest for Sarah. And now I remembered that that was happening down the line. But since it wasn't introduced at all in that first episode, I was able to just see him as this like cartoon character, you know, <laughs> who just forgot everyone's names and was Adam's like inept boss. And I found him very funny. And then the second he was paired with Sarah, I'm like, oh, yeah. I hate him. So anyway. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that's it for us. Um, th- thank you again, Heidi. First of all, yes, you were wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and um, please be sure to follow us on Parenthood Pals at Facebook and to, well, you know what? F- follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook. On all the social media. On the social media. Or parenthoodpals.com. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. 